Oh, do you know what I remember? Ich bin nach Irland geschwommen. And that is all I can take away from GCSE German. And all it means is I swam to Ireland. Well, you never know. You may need it. <laughs> Hello, I'm Josh Shreve and welcome to What's in the Bag. Each episode, I'll be asking my guests just that question as we sit down and go through five important items they've brought along in their bag. I have absolutely no idea, by the way, what these items are going to be. All I know is that they're related to music in some way. This time around, it's Katrin Vincent, who's the lead singer of a brilliant band called Another Sky, who I love. We talk about the imminent release of their debut album, Online Trolls, and her German pen pal. So let's ask Katrin, what's in the bag? For some reason, we've got loads of German press. So I've got two German interviews after this. All, and I have to record it because that's like, I'm sure you know that's the requirement for German press. <laughs> well, I won't be speaking, I, I won't be practicing my German on you because I know nine. That's all I know. Nine. Is nine no? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a good start. <laughs> well, this is exciting, Katrin, because you are the first musician on What's in the Bag. So no pressure. And it's also exciting because your album, your debut album is out in two days time. Another Sky's debut album. How are we feeling? Really scared. <laughs> but... Happy, a mixture of emotions, I'd say. Yeah, well, we're going to talk a lot about the album and uh, go on to your items in your bag. But first of all, where where are you? Because I can't actually see you because you've conveniently used uh, sort of your own background to hide your room. So, so where can we find you at the moment? I am in London, in my room in London, and it's very messy. And where are sort of the rest of the band? It must be kind of weird sort of being in a band and going through the most important sort of few months of, of your life as a band without them. Have you managed to see them? I have. I have. We've managed to meet up, um, socially distanced, of course. And it's it's been really weird. It's been a complete life change for all of us. But we've actually, like, we've written remotely and we've been sending constant ideas back and forth so it's kind of nice as well and has that worked well have there been any tech frustrations we're kind of used because when we came out of uni we didn't have studio spaces we're kind of used to sending working in each other's bedrooms and sending things back and forth so actually it's not been terrible your debut album i slept on the floor is out at the end of this week and as far as I know, I think you've been sat on this music for quite a while, haven't you? Since I last spoke to you guys about uh, 15 months ago, you sort of, I think you just completed your idea of putting it together. Has, have, have you been on it for a while? Yeah, six years. So we started in 2000. <laughs> six years, wow. <laughs> six years. I'm not even sure if I'm supposed to say that, but I'm an honest person. Um, we've been a band for six years so fell in love was like the second song we ever wrote so it's it's kind of nice because it captures that whole journey um it's like a time capsule of our lives over the past six years but yeah long time in the making because I guess you can feel like you're sort of living the album as it comes out but I guess you're kind of reliving it and you've kind of put a bookend on it in a way 
It definitely feels like that because um, I really didn't want it to be what it's about. That was completely unconscious. And um, yeah, it's sort of about growing up and where I'm from. And it does feel like through all these interviews, I'm completely reliving it, which I did not expect, but should have expected. So yeah, you're totally right. Well, I do want want to dig a bit into it. Where are you from originally then? So I'm from the West Midlands. Mm -hmm. Um, Literally, if you zoomed in on my town, it's like it genuinely is bang in the middle of England. So, you know, when you you go to uni and everyone's having the, are you from the north? Are you from the south? And no one accepts the Midlands, but genuinely, genuinely a Midlander. It's like a tiny place to grow up in. So when I moved to London, it was a big culture shock. Is that album, as you say, about sort of your adolescence to adulthood and, and moving out? And for years as well, I was like, I need to get to London. I need to get into the actual city. So I felt I felt that kind of connection with it. Um you you sort of deal with some tough topics in it um, and you say it's sort of topics that we're kind of not expected to talk about but you do in such a beautiful way and you also have even though they're tough topics you have some real uplifting music to go with it and that sense of hope and stuff tell us about the actual the title of the album I Slept on the Floor where does that come from for you? So it's a direct event in my life and actually Right now I'm debating whether it was the best title to pick because I've realised I have to talk about it. (laughs) Um, But it can mean a lot of things, I think. Um, One of its meanings that I feel comfortable talking about is I got so sick as a teen that um, I spent a lot of nights sleeping on the bathroom floor because I was gonna throw up and it felt safer there so that's a I mean that's dark isn't it to have as an album title but also also there's a lyric that got taken out of the title track um that I might add in for live performances it's from the ground lies the most honest view death in the roots of a world built for you and I quite like this concept of during a breakdown or during the worst times in your life that holds the most change in a way and you can see things as honestly as possible and it sounds really cliche but that's no no you're right the the kind of uh, the you mentioned the honesty there that kind of that string goes through the likes of brave face as well which is about about your friend and a toxic relationship and you've got you've got the likes of that and then you've got Avalanche for me, I was I was reading back on it and what it's about, and it's about sort of that toxic kind of Brexit era and Trump and everything going on then. It must kind of feel weird that four years on, we've still got a lot of these issues that are going on, if not even worse, and you're still you're putting this out there four years on from its initial release. It feels really weird, and I had that thought yesterday where I kind of suddenly realised There's a song in the album and when we wrote it, I thought, is this too dark? Am I referencing death too much? And it feels like it was written for the pandemic. Like the lyrics are so, the lyrics are about the healthcare system. They're talking about 
building a new way of living. And just when I listen back to that, I do think that's so weird because it was not written for a pandemic, but it sounds like it was. I think hopefully it will resonate with people because I got a lot of pushback from my lyrics early on, being too um, dark, too depressing. And I felt like actually they're the most truthful. Like as a society, we are ignoring these things and we're, we're in a train hurtling towards a crash if we just let these things continue. So I'm hoping the lyrics will resonate with people who also want to confront these difficult things. You also use your social media for actually using your voice, to be fair. And although you do promote your album, you do get artists out there um, who will just sort of promo, 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 and that's all you see on their social media. But do you feel quite conscious of that and actually having having a platform to, to make change? Because you do that through your lyrics, as you've said, but also on social media. Yeah, I've always tried to talk about things that most artists are advised not to. But ever since this pandemic and great movements like Black Lives Matter have come to the centre, I feel like there's been a massive shift and suddenly it's trendy to post about these things. So I'm glad I always did. I could have done it more and... A lot of artists have been advised to not do that because you lose followers. If you're talking about polarised issues, you do lose followers. And we did have pushback from people and comments. But I try and say, well, you know, if people disagree with this, this music isn't for them. It's not telling their story. Um, And I think it's, I think artists now really want, to push for this change and it's an amazing thing to see and we're seeing all our venues get closed we're we're living Mm. precariously so we can definitely sympathize with with a lot of issues out there We're, we're kind of the perfect vehicle for these these big movements of change so hopefully that continues I wanted to talk a bit more about you mentioned there you can be criticized for what you you say and stuff and Similarly, the the territory that comes with putting out music is reviews. And I saw you put a a post up about, oh, no matter how many positive reviews we get, there's still going to be that one negative one I hone in on. How much does stuff like reviews matter to you? I don't know yet, because obviously (laughs) it's our first album. And I've heard lots of stories of artists on their first album, like breaking down over the negative reviews. But we did have an experience and especially me personally, we went on Jules Holland, completely unknown band. I'd only just got in ears. I was stressed. In fact, I hadn't even performed vocally without an instrument before. So I didn't even know what to do with my hands. <laughs> and um, on the Facebook page, the Jules Holland Facebook page is an evil, evil place. I don't know why, but those comments, they go for new artists, especially and especially women. And I had a hundred comments telling me to never sing again. It got such a reaction and it was quite a political song. And I was basically shouting into a mic. So I think Um, There was a demographic on that Facebook page that did not enjoy it. But um, there was even a comment that said, um, oh, no, she isn't unique. 
Bjork's unique. And then I scrolled down, found Bjork's latest Jules Holland and all the comments were like, she's awful. And I was like, you don't even like Bjork. What's going on? <laughs> that must be very tough to take. And I know that you, you guys started um, some of your early gigs. You did sort of silhouette performances because, um, as, you, as you say, sort of the tendency for a lot of a lot of people who love guitar music is to be like, well, if it's a, if it's a female singer, I'm not interested, kind of thing. And you you have that you have that thing with your voice, which is amazing and has so many tones to it, where you had a thing where a lot of people were saying, oh, is this not a, a bloke singing? And you put out an amazing statement, something about, well, people say I sound like a man, maybe then that means they'll listen. You feel very strongly about that. Definitely. I think what I'm really happy about lately is that I can kind of be a vehicle for people who feel like they don't pass as perhaps a woman. So... I'm enjoying the fact that I don't present fully as a woman because then that means less pressure for people who also don't present fully as a woman. So I'm really enjoying that aspect of it. But it was really weird to go into a world where there were tweets that said, oh, she's a woman, don't like the music anymore. That is, that blows my mind. That's so weird. Because we were sort of living in a bubble before where didn't even cross my mind that it was a female vocal on top of predominantly male indie music. I hadn't even registered that. So that was actually like a major shock. I wondered with you how you felt about sort of less about the comparisons necessarily to males, but just other other music. So when I listen to you, I pick out like the opening track sounds like an old Coldplay track for me. Um, but emphasis on the old because the new stuff's a bit. <laughs> but <laughs> but then you've also you've also got some moments which are very like everything everything, which I think is a lot of where the vocal comparison comes from because um, what he can do with his voice is as amazing as, as yours as well. Um, how do you feel about those comparisons? Do you like sort of like people saying, "Oh, there's a bit of this in there and a bit of that," or do you just think, "Screw that, just do our own thing." I think musicians will always face comparisons because that's how people are get attracted to the music, that they hear something familiar in it. So I understand comparisons. Um, I think it can be quite difficult for musicians because I think as soon as people say we sound like early Coldplay, it's the biggest compliment ever, but then it puts us in a box. Mm-hmm. And there's no way to avoid boxes. We've been called London Grammar we've been called Coldplay and they're great compliments. And I think it's up to musicians to def- to defy expectations and make new things. And our second album is t- sounding completely different to our first. And I'm really excited about that <laughs> because, yeah, I, I want us to be the band that can constantly change and invite new fans in and somehow not lose the old fans. And hopefully with this debut, because it covers so many genres, I'm hoping it'll, yeah, it'll set our career to be this fluid thing. Mad that you've already got the second album sort of sorted, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think 
we're used to living turbulent lives. So um, I know that artists have struggled writing in lockdown and we've definitely struggled, but we're, we're also operating on fear. Um, we've actually just lost our studio. We're trying to find a new studio. So we kind of saw lockdown as the time, the time to just get this second album done while we don't have to work. And yeah, I think it is funny. It is funny that we've written the second album before we released the first, but I'm glad we have because the pressure's off. Before we move on, I do just have to say, I love the album artwork. And it reminds me of, there's there's some classic album artwork out there that uses, it's basically all of your faces, essentially. So your four faces um, in each quarter. Reminds me of, the, the Blur Best Of CD, Gorillas, Demon Days, Everything, Everything Again with Ark. I always love that. And it's it's amazing artwork that just captures my attention. I, I can't wait to see it sort of out in physical form. Um, you must be proud of like the aesthetic as well as the sound. Oh, thank you so much. Um, the aesthetic comes from our artwork for Avalanche and we continued the melting face onto um, Brave Face so it feels like it ties it all together and it feels like the most striking image for what the album's about so that's really cool to hear thank you so much well very much looking forward to I Slept on the Floor uh, coming out end of this week and seeing all the positive reviews that come out I'm sure from it Let's go on to uh, the main reason you're here, really, is um, to go through your five most important or significant items for you um, that you have stashed in a bag for me. So without further ado, would you like to pick out your first item and tell me what it is, please? Do you know what? I really want to pull out a Pokemon card now you said it. <laughs> oh, my God. It better be a good one. <laughs> Is it? Is it? Oh my god, it's Mewtwo! Wow! I mean, I can't see it because of your background. <laughs> oh, damn it! So it's that could exactly be anything. The same. It's actually a Pikachu. It's exa- <laughs> oh, yeah. I'd prefer Pikachu over Mewtwo. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, regardless of the Pokemon cards, what is in the bag? Have you, have you managed to delve in? <laughs> so, the first item items because I've cheated are two gig tickets because I couldn't pick between the artists and it's Fortet at Ali Pali and Jose Gonzalez with the string theory at the South Bank Centre and they were gigs that changed my life nice well which one was first which came first Jose came first and I remember crying on his first song <laughs> yeah what, what a way to start the gig you usually get that at the end with all the like euphoria and uh, sort of applause and stuff and tears but crying at the first song so where, why does he mean so much to you and, and was it the first time you ever saw him first time I ever saw him and he was with a whole orchestra um, I've known about him for ages I can't remember the first time I listened to his stuff but it was probably that famous cover of um, Heartbeat just his guitar playing is phenomenal and the way he sings so straight but so in tune I'm very jealous of it (laughs) and his first song at that concert was Every Age and the lyrics to that are the most simple but the most powerful it just got me when I saw it I was just crying and his um 
For string theory, the conductor played a drill that was in tune with one of his songs. And I thought that was just mind-blowing. I loved that. A drill? It's just... Yeah. It, like... They must have just found a drill, played it as a joke, and then realised it was the same pitch as the song. And they were just they were just like, we're going to put it in. And it really worked. It was amazing. That's like something from, like, the theatre, like Stomp or something. <laughs> Start getting the, yeah. bin, the bin lids out. <laughs> <laughs> well, from him to Fortet, there's quite two different artists. So what was it about Fortet then that so, like, inspired you and, and got you? Fortet is mind-blowing. Fortet has especially um, inspired Max, the drummer Max. And through Max, we all learnt about Fortet. I think just the way he uses electronic music so emotively, it's kind of similar to John Hopkins, although they're very different artists. And um, he just knows what he's doing. And I love how his samples cut out you can hear the cut out of his samples and that was a very that feels like a really deliberate decision to go yes I've sampled this and it's in a box I I hope that makes sense but his style is just so distinctive and there was a point when um, immigration laws were being changed and he did this amazing mixtape in support of that just pushing all these artists to the forefront and I just I just really respect him and that gig, um, don't know, most people know about the balls of light. Yeah. So at Ali Pali, we were just immersed in this light show. And it just, man, I wish I had been on drugs for it. <laughs> I think it would have been amazing on drugs. But um, God, it was so good. I saw so many pictures of that and I was like that's not a small task to fill out Ali Pali with those lights no and you know what they they couldn't fill out the whole venue like it was it's it had this frame where you just walked into the uh, slackers slackers they need to up their game <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing in terms of aesthetic we kind of spoke about it a bit earlier um, with when you started out with silhouettes and then when I've seen you guys you've had these massive um, sort of lights behind you um, is that a big thing for you guys or are you sort of still in the stage of like just playing around with what, what your live shows look like we're still playing around um, we're definitely going to carry on with the silhouettes and something I realised the other day that was really interesting to me is that we've always said we prefer performing in the dark but we've never quite nailed why. And I realised the other day, it removes that feeling of being watched. So I find it so powerful when we perform as silhouettes because I'm not focused on what's my face doing? What do I look like? Am I pretty? I'm literally just like, here's the music. (laughs) And we all, and it's really, really nice. And it feels like it's less about, say the singer me as the singer and it becomes about this wall of sound so yeah it's really it's a really important vibe for us and it feels like it locks us all together in a room um, so we're definitely going to carry on with that nice well the two artists you've just spoken about there both musically and aesthetically are kind of pushing those boundaries so i'm sure both massive inspirations for you guys um let's go on to your second item please oh this is close to my heart this is my friend Carlos's debut album 
and he released it on his own record label, Kanigu Records. And look at this. I hope this shows up. <laughs> he's printed a mountain. He likes climbing mountains. Mountains are his thing. And he's printed a mountain onto the cassette. Wow. And it's the most, it's such incredible music. It's really experimental. It's really alternative. And he's written a little, um, he wrote a thank you section. And even though I did absolutely nothing for this album, he has thanked me for emotional support. <laughs> oh, well, look, he'll, he'll be hoping for the, uh, the repayment on, on your album, I'm sure. Very true. Very true. <laughs> we actually, um, we co-run bedroom gigs together. I always bang on about bedroom gigs, um, which feels like it'll become really important after all these venues close. But um, yeah, he's the person I run bedroom gigs with. And he's just, he's just so talented. And it's such an amazing cassette. So that's my second item. And is that how you met him? Was that through bedroom gigs or was it, um, did you meet him before that? We met at uni and we both played in Elsa Tully's band. Um, he's moved, he travels the world now. So um, yeah, he, he is a force to be reckoned with. Be honest, do you have a cassette player? Yes, <laughs> I do. I'm going to, oh, I'm not going to show, it's really big. It's a multi-track cassette recorder, but I'm obsessed with cassettes even though it doesn't fit the vibe of another <laughs> So I think I think it's fair to say a lot of people have brought onto this podcast vinyls or old CDs, but you've gone for the third medium, which is of course cassettes. <laughs> <laughs> so are you a cassette a cassette collector? I am I actually am. Um my granddad has a giant archive of cassettes, but and I tried to get to them. He was going to give them to me, but they're like Re, like everything in his garage, garage is going to topple over if we get to the cassettes. <laughs> so one day I'm going to own my granddad's cassette archive, which I'm I'm so excited for. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I didn't I didn't expect to see a cassette, but they are sort of coming back, aren't they? I think I think for music fans, it's really important to have that physical thing. And like I love my vinyl, but I'll be honest, I do listen to them. But obviously, if you're out and about, you're obviously listening to streaming services or on your phone or whatever. But having the physical copy and being able to put it up in your room or whatever, there's there's something unique about it. Yeah, yeah. It's like people don't open vinyls. It's like a collection. <laughs> it and is. It, it does feel good having this physical thing from an artist you love. So, yeah. And did Carlos give you any advice when you were sort of writing this album and and making it and stuff having put his out a few years beforehand you know what how i love how he makes music he sort of um he'll just jam and make loads of jams and he'll have hundreds of jams um he's really into improvisation and then he'll pick the best ones and he'll just continually chip away at something and i really admire that way of working so um there's definitely elements of his music in the way we've tried to approach music as a more pop artist. So yeah, I think Carlos's advice is through his lack of words. I know that sounds really weird, but I think <laughs> with with our friends and especially our music friends, it's more about watching what they do and being inspired of it. It's kind of like this unspoken thing. Third item then, please. So, so far we've had a cassette and tickets. What will it be next? It's going to be a poster 
from when we supported Laurel. And Polly Money's there as well. Yeah, so we supported Laurel on a tour and for her day de- I think it was her debut album and she's just oh I want to swear she's you can swear incredible I can swear yeah. amazing she's fucking incredible so is Polly Money and it's really cool that we all got to do a tour together so that's Tufnell Park and when was that that's that gig oh god that was there's no date on it but this was like 2018 I think so probably like two years ago now. It was our first ever tour as a band to support Laurel. What's it like sort of going from supporting to then doing your own sort of uh, shows in, in, in the likes of London and, and Manchester and cities around the UK? Is it Does it feel way more daunting? It does, does it? I feel like... I'm so nervous before every gig. I don't register who's there or what gig it is or what's happening. But um, do you know what? It isn't daunting. I think even if you're a support act, you're still there to give everyone a good time. So I don't even notice the difference. I know that sounds weird, but that's, that's a really good question. Is it weird putting out a debut album during this time? Because you'd usually be... You'd usually be touring around it and be at festivals or or gigs and stuff like that. Have you missed that? Or actually, does the fact that people can't go out as much and have to listen to music, is it kind of a blessing to put out the album now? How have you sort of battled with that? That's such a good question. There's a personal answer, which is that um, I'm trying to train my voice up to be less tired. When we go on long tours, my voice can really suffer. So it's been really good to have that time to sit back and heal my voice. Similarly, when Naomi put up a picture of a gig we did in Germany, like a street festival, and it made me so sad. It made me so sad. But I think our debut album has the right tone for the time. So it feels quite fitting we're releasing it in 2020. (laughs) And for you personally, what um, what albums or music has got you through lockdown at the moment? What have you sort of turned to and binged? That is such a good question. I'm going to open my Spotify for this. Um, <laughs> so we made this playlist called Bathtub of Hell, and it's all the music <laughs> that got re- <laughs> it's all the music that got released during this time. Um, what I mean Phoebe Bridges obviously everyone's saying that right now I liked her before it was cool to like her even though it's always been cool to like her um, but her debut I know so much about her I'm I'm a Punisher her second album um, is called Punisher and that's so fitting because I am definitely a Punisher um, I know so much about her so listening to her album and picking out all the personal things from each song that I only know because I'm in her Facebook fan page. Um, <laughs> wow, I'm going off about Phoebe Bridges. So Phoebe Bridges definitely been listening to, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And there's um, there's a song that I've been listening to on repeat. It's by Keaton Henson and it's called um, Career Day. And it's about his dad's death, mainly. But I... It, the chords just feel like a release for me. He was kind of big amongst my friends around two, 2014 when we started the band. So it's so... I feel like 
the songs I listened to of his back in 2014 were a question and this song he's released career day is an answer that sounds so wanky, <laughs> but I'll roll with it <laughs> um I just I've been listening to it on repeat it kind of reminds me of the countryside and takes me back to that place and it feels very poignant and um, I've discovered the Nova twins they're super cool I've been listening to their stuff so yeah those are some things I've been listening to. Nice. Well, if you want to get in the mind of Katrin and what she's listening to, the bathtub of hell was it? Your playlist. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So your third item um, is your gig tour poster. Fourth item, please, Katrin. So I'm going to try and cover up the addresses on this, but I got myself a pen pal, <gasps> and um, she's called Lara. And I know her through my friend Iris. She's a big fan of my friend Iris and discovered our band Another Sky through that. And yeah, she I, I asked for a pen pal and I received. And we talk a lot. Um, I'm not great at sending letters back because I didn't realise that you're not supposed to put a first class English post stamp on a letter to Germany. But there we go. <laughs> Sorry, Lara. But um, it's been really great reading about her life. She's on a journey to become a musician. And it just means a lot to me that I can have a pen pal. Have you found sort of similar um, things about you? Or, or is it quite is it quite interesting? Is she quite different? It, do you know, I think um, she resonates with what our songs are about, I think. And um, it's, it's a really... Like, her bio is intersectional feminist, so it's really cool. She's a really cool person. And, um, yeah, I guess it's so interesting. She writes... Oh, I hope she's okay with me saying all this, but um, she writes a lot about learning music and she's had similar struggles to me and that people don't believe in you straight away because you're not famous straight away. So... I see a lot of myself in her, which is really, really cool. Yeah. And have you had the chance to meet her yet? No. She's met Max. And because of lockdown... Yeah. You know, we're not gig- we're not doing the gigs in Germany. Um, she can't come to England. And we're not even playing in England. So we were meant to meet. But one day we will. One day we will. Well, you're doing a load of German interviews today. And you've got a German pen pal... How is the German coming on? Bad. <laughs> Bad. I, oh, do you know what I remember? Ich bin nach Irland geschwommen. And that is all I can take away from GCSE German. And all it means is I swam to Ireland. Well, you never know. You may need it. <laughs> well, that's quite a sort of sentimental thing. And, and that's amazing to hear because I, I feel like... Um, bands and artists at sort of as you're leading up to your debut album and stuff you really do feel the the thanks and and the nice words from people and the connection um so that's great that you've you've had that and i'm sure you've had loads of people sort of amongst all the horrible trolls and stuff put them to one side you must get a lot of a lot of thankfulness from people oh it's been amazing because in lockdown we can talk to our fans way more and they're just the best people. Like, I think that's one of my favourite things about music is that you can connect to so many people. And um, yeah, looking forward to seeing them all again in real life at gigs. But it's 
<laughs> real faces, real people. So four items down, one to go, please. What is your final item from your bag, please? Blue Dot Festival wristband. Love Blue Dot. Um, we have a joke where uh, Max called it Pale Dot, so we always go, <laughs> Pale Dot. But... Um, it's it's just a really cool festival, sciency. My dad loved it. Got my dad in for free. He's all about space. So it was just a wicked festival to play. And was this last year you played this? Yeah, 2019. It was we all went on in astronaut suits. It was great. Where did you get those from? Just online. We just <laughs> ordered them. <laughs> just second hand, you know. Yeah, I'll 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 chip in for Buzz Aldrin's uh, <laughs> suit. <laughs> we spent a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Official NASA or more like fancy dress? What are we talking? Fancy dress. They had the NASA badges on though. But yeah, very cheap. Very cheap. <laughs> <laughs> Blue Dot sounds like an amazing festival. And there's so many festivals now in, in the UK and stuff. And the thing I've always wondered with festivals and, and bands is obviously at, at your headline gig, people are coming because by and large, they know who you are. They want to see you. They know the music. With festivals, how do you find it with people sort of stumbling across you guys and stuff? Do you find that a bit weird? Do you only, you obviously want to play to new people, but are you a bit like, oh, I don't know if there's going to be enough people and all that. There's a, a mix of kind of emotions with festivals, I imagine. It's really interesting. I feel like we're prepared for all crowds because we did the open mic circuit when we first became a band. We were literally, Max was falling off the stage at the New Cross Inn. <laughs> so we are so used to any kind of crowd. And actually, I like it because it's a bit of a challenge winning people over. And, and finding out who has been won over, which is mainly um, men like my dad. <laughs> That's our main fan base, which I think is amazing. So, yeah, I actually love festivals for that reason. Which festivals did you have lined up this year that sadly obviously aren't happening? Are you, are you gutted to be missing any ones in particular? There were, funnily enough, some in Germany that were going to be really, really exciting and obviously it's just not happening. So, yeah, it's a real shame that all these festivals aren't going to happen. But you know what? I view it as necessary because it is a global pandemic. So I don't get too down about it because they will eventually happen. Absolutely. What's the um, last gig you played before before this all happened? Where was that? It was Omira for John Kennedy's Exposure Night. And um, I think the other bands were Juno Dream, and I can't say, but char- I can't say the name, but Chartreuse. Oh, that is not the name, but I can see the spelling <laughs> in my head. And they were awesome. It was such a fun gig. But yeah, that was our last gig. Well, back on the live stages soon enough, and looking forward to being able to hear tracks we've not heard before. I imagine there's going to be a fair sprinkling of a few new tracks, right? Yeah, definitely. Maybe even from the second album? <laughs> oh, no. Imagine if we just crowbarred them in right at the end. I'd love that. I'd love to do that, but no, we, sadly we can't. Katrin, before I let you go, I need one of these items to be put into the What's in the Bag Hall of Fame, please. So it might be the one that means the most to you, the one that's the most striking. Perhaps it's the most confusing. Why would you put that in the Hall of Fame? What are you going to go for? Which, which one do you want to pick? I mean, Carlos wins. Look at just, I'm obsessed with this cassette. I think that's a perfect thing to go in. 
Nice and great, as I said, to get the cassettes in because we've had vinyls, we've had CDs. Let's get every medium in there. What's next? I don't know. Gramophone? Does that work? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thank you so much, Katrin. I Slept on the Floor is out at the end of this week and go purchase it, stream it, whatever, and then see you live when you're back on the circuit. Thanks for listening to this episode of What's in the Bag. Please leave us a rating, comment, and make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. That means that each episode will drop right into your lap as soon as it's here. Follow at WITBpod on Twitter and Instagram to get info about when each episode is coming and who my next guest will be. And a final thank you to Johnny Robinson for providing the music for What's in the Bag and Charlie Shreve for creating the artwork. You can find more of his work at Charlie Shreve Design on Instagram. Instagram.